0: And that's a good place for an amen. A lot of times the young people in our culture make the news for all the wrong reasons. It's good to hear news like that, of young people sharing their faith and bringing their friends to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now it's time for our study of God's Word, and today I'm returning to our study of the grace of God giving. We began this study a number of weeks ago, and when we did, I shared with you that while it is financially focused, that's the focus of the teaching, it's not financially driven. We are not teaching upon giving because the church is in an hour of some extraordinary need. It is not. God faithfully provides through His faithful people. But His people are in need of liberation from the soul-suffocating effects of materialism and consumerism, things that rob us of our destiny and our impact and of our joy. So this, while it's financially focused, is ultimately about spiritual health. Now, I introduced the teaching a number of weeks ago, and then Pastor John and I looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10 together, looking at principles of grace-giving. This evening, I want to put my focus on another topic, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But to set the stage for that, I'd like to read one verse from that ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul said, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion." For God loves a cheerful giver. All of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this weekend it's the Sermon on the Amount. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your Spirit, help me to speak reality in a world of addictive illusion. We are surrounded by the narcotic of illusion, by a culture of unbelief that cannot see truth. In the midst of that, help me to be a faithful messenger of your truth this day. By your Spirit, enable me to preach and teach your word accurately and well. And by your Spirit, help each one to respond in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together, may the Lord be with you. One of the questions most frequently asked by believers is this one. How much should I give? What does the Bible say about my giving? Is it to be a percentage? If so, what percent? If it isn't to be a percentage, what is to guide it? What is to govern it? But how much should I give? What would God expect me to give? And today I want to offer my very best attempt at an accurate answer. One that stands on the strong and sturdy legs of Scripture, rather than the scrawny, shaky legs of unquestioned tradition, faulty biblical interpretation, fear, or self-serving, guilt-serving, brow-beating greed. Because you see some of the teaching about giving is based on the teacher's greed. In some places the teaching on giving is based on tradition rather than scripture. In some places it's based on poor interpretation of God's Word, and we don't want any of that. Towards that end, I want to begin this weekend by reviewing what I like to call God's evolving, changing instructions about giving on the part of His people. Scripture mentions two types of giving. It uses two words when it's talking about giving. Offerings and tithes. And you're familiar, I'm sure, with both of those words if you've read Scripture, and you've probably heard both of those words used in church, offerings and tithes. And I put them in that order because that's the order in which we encounter them. The first, offerings, talks about voluntary giving to the Lord. The second, tithe, usually is a designated or commanded amount, designated by God. And the idea of a designated, commanded amount for giving by God's people doesn't really appear in Scripture for many, many centuries. In fact, it doesn't appear until Moses, at God's behest, revealed the law to the nation-state of Israel. That's where the concept of a commanded tithe was introduced, when Moses gave God's law to the nation-state, the political entity of Israel. And that law of God not only dealt with matters of worship and spirituality. The old covenant law was literally the constitution for the government of the nation-state of Israel. It not only spelled out how men and women were to walk before God spiritually, but it also dealt with religious ceremony, and it also dealt with political legislation and tax systems and judicial matters. Now, under the Old Covenant law, God commanded Israel to tithe. The word tithe simply means a tenth or 10%. And it doesn't necessarily involve a commandment from God. In fact, the first time we read about a tithe in the Old Testament, we read about Abraham, after he had won a battle, voluntarily giving a tenth of the spoils of war to the high priest Melchizedek. God didn't command it. He wasn't fulfilling any law. God didn't say this is something you have to do. He just voluntarily gave a tenth of the spoils of war, and it's referred to as a tithe. The word tithe appears 34 times in God's Word, and it may surprise you to know that it never involves money. Instead, it always involves agricultural products. Because Israel, when God established the law, was an agricultural economy. And they were commanded by God to give a tithe, 10% of any increase in their livestock or in their crops. 10% of the increase in livestock or crops annually was to be given unto the Lord for three reasons. First of all, as a way of acknowledging God's blessing and God's provision. Secondly, it was to support God's priests. Because when God divvied up the land among the tribes of Israel, He didn't give any land to the priestly tribe. He said, those of you who are going to be my priests will not have an inheritance in the land. I will be your inheritance. Now, in an agricultural economy, if you have to spend all your time serving in the tabernacle, doing the work of the priest, and you don't have any land to farm, you would starve. And so the tithe was how God made provision for the feeding of his priests. And the third reason they were to tithe was to provide for the poor within their nation. Portions of the tithe were designated for the poor. But it had to do with agricultural produce. That's why that famous verse on tithing in Malachi says, Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse. Not into the church. There wasn't a church then. Into the storehouse. What was the storehouse? It was literally the root cellar. The storehouse where they kept food from spoiling. God said, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? So that there might be money? No. Food in my house to feed my servants and to care for the poor. So every time the tithe is used under the Old Testament, Old Covenant law system, it had to do with agricultural products. And that tenth of any increase was not to come from the leftovers or the inferior. It was, according to Deuteronomy 18, to always come from the first and from the best. The tithe, you see, was a tax. And one of several taxes that God levied. It was a commanded amount based on what we would call today income or capital gains. Wherever you've had income, wherever you've had capital gain in your agriculture, the first 10% is to be paid as a commandment to support the priests, the poor, and the work of God's appointed servants. And it wasn't the only tax that God commanded. There was a second tithe, mentioned Deuteronomy chapter 12, that was to be given annually for the sake of the sacred festivals that God commanded. And there was a third tithe, and that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 14. And that was to be given, that tenth, was to be given once every three years, and it was set aside exclusively for poor widows, orphans, aliens, and other poor. Now, if you take that every three-year tithe and divide it into thirds, add it to the other two taxes that were 10% each, then you see that altogether, God, on an annual basis, levied Israel at a 23 and one-third percent tax rate. And that was their taxes as a nation-state levied by God. And God said in Malachi, failure to pay that, if you're a citizen of the nation, if you're a part of my people Israel, is robbery. It's robbery. And one other thing. Unlike man-made tax systems, if you honored God and obeyed this one, He promised He would bless you. He promised that if His people were faithful in paying that tax, that 23 and a third percent tax, He would open the windows of heaven and make sure that as an agricultural economy they would always be blessed and always have rain and always have good Now, I wish we had the same kind of guarantee when we paid our federal, state, and local taxes today. That if we pay our taxes, we will be blessed. But unfortunately, uh, our taxes don't come with that rider and with that promise. Voluntary giving, offerings to the Lord, were in addition to the 23 and a third percent tie. And they were voluntary expressions of love and worship, and according to Numbers 15, they were called offerings. Now, because that tax, that tithe, those several tithes, were a part of God's law for a nation state, we can declare that the tithe is now obsolete. Because Hebrews 8.13 says the Old Covenant is obsolete. It's just done with. It's not in effect anymore. And why? Because we're not a nation state, a political entity under law given through Moses. But we are the church under grace given through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, God's people were a nation, literally, with land. Others could join them and become God-fearers or God-followers, but they were primarily a nation who occupied a land, who had a constitution given by God. Today, the church is a universal body. People from every tribe and tongue and nation who make up God's spiritual dwelling place. And we are given the Lord Jesus rather than a land. You see, the Mosaic Law had three dimensions. There was a moral dimension, there was a ceremonial dimension, and then there was a political or legislative dimension. Now the moral aspects of the law, we're still to obey today, but not as the law of Moses, but as part of the law of love in the Lord Jesus Christ. So still... God still expects that His people will not lie, will not kill, will not covet, will not steal, will not bear false witness, will not commit adultery. That's the moral law. But the ceremonial law is no longer in effect for the church. We don't offer up animal sacrifices. We don't give grain offerings. We don't observe the feasts and the sacred festivals of ancient Israel and neither is the political or constitutional law in effect. We don't pay a 23 and a third percent tax to a tabernacle or to a temple. So the first aspect of the law is still in play, but under a different structure through the Lord Jesus. The other two, according to the writer of the Hebrews, obsolete. Now it's true that Jesus at one point in the New Testament said to tithe, but you have to remember, it's in Matthew's Gospel, and when he said it, who was he talking to? Jewish leaders. And they were still under the Old Covenant. Because he hadn't established the new covenant yet. The new covenant was established how? By his death and his resurrection. That's why he said when he instituted the Lord's Supper, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. So when he said to Jewish leaders, you should tithe, it's because they were still under the law. But after his death and after his resurrection, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament... Are believers instructed to tithe? Peter didn't teach it. Paul didn't teach it. James didn't teach it. The writer to the Hebrews didn't teach it. John didn't teach it. It's not mentioned anywhere. Because we are God's spiritual temple under grace, not a nation under law. Under new covenant grace, believers now desire to give because we have a new nature, old things are passed away, all things have become new, we have a new perspective on what's really valuable and important in life, and we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher and our inspiration and our power. Our eyes have been opened to see that the greatest blessing and the greatest fulfillment comes not from acquiring, buying, hoarding, and amassing, but from giving. Our eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit to see that it really is far more blessed to give than to receive. We're not walking in the dark anymore. We're no longer addicted to the lies and the illusions of the world. Command has been replaced by sincere desire rooted in love. Love for God. Love for the expansion of His kingdom. Love for lost people who are in spiritual darkness. And love for one another, where we desire that all would grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. That's why Hebrews calls the new covenant superior. It's superior in every way. Love is always superior to law. Love is always a superior motivation to the motivation of law. That's why Paul, who didn't teach the tithe, because he was teaching the new covenant, that's why Paul, in the text I selected this weekend, assumes that believers indwelt by the Spirit of God will desire... They won't need to be commanded and threatened as to what will happen if they disobey. Believers will desire to give all they can to meet as many needs as they can in order to glorify God as much as they can. That's what it means to be a new covenant believer. You're not living under a burden of law. You are living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is transforming you from a hoarder into a giver. From stinginess into generosity, from fear into faith. You see, another way that grace-giving is superior to the old covenant tithe system is that grace-giving allows for differing circumstances. Under the old covenant tithe system... It didn't matter what your income was. The tax rate was a flat tax rate for everybody, without exception. Some people in the church today are blessed with good income and few bills. And if you're there, thank God. But others are burdened with low income and lots of bills. And if you're there, don't despair. And so under the old system, a family of five giving 10% of an annual income of $200,000 would have far more remaining than a family of five making $30,000 and also giving 10% or 23 and a third percent. Today, if two families both earn $40,000, one has great health coverage and the other has to purchase health coverage and has a lot of health-expensive needs, should both give the same identical amount? The Old Covenant formula would have said yes, but grace-giving allows for seeking the leading of the Spirit in different circumstances. The old law made no exceptions. Now, in fairness, though, we do need to say this. Under the old tithing law, a portion of the tithe was set apart for the poor so that many of the poor who tithe would have received back probably everything they tithe and perhaps even more through the tithes of others. You see, grace is superior to law. But that begs a certain question. If grace is superior to law, if love goes further than law, why, over the last 30 or 40 years, as affluence has increased in the United States, has giving among believers plummeted to an all-time low? If we are walking by a superior covenant, indwelt by the Spirit of God, why is generous giving becoming extinct? As I shared with you a few weeks ago, national average for people who confess Jesus as Lord is under 3%. And I'd like to suggest that we don't have a financial problem. We have a worship problem. Because giving is worship. Just as much as prayer, just as much as preaching and teaching, just as much as praise giving is a tangible way to respond to god's grace to show that we love him more than the stuff the world offers us to combat soul suffocating materialism to show excuse me to show that we care about lost people It's a way whereby we renounce the false idols of security, pleasure, money, and possessions. It's a way whereby we grow our faith and our full trust and confidence in God. So when we struggle to give, and when giving is decreasing, it indicates a worship problem, and it indicates a faith problem. It indicates unbelief. We struggle to believe that we will actually be joyful and actually be better off and actually survive if we're generous and follow the promptings of God's Holy Spirit. We struggle to believe that God will provide for our needs if we honor Him. And so we withhold and we protect and we hoard and we indulge and we say maybe next month. And we miss the great blessings that God has for us. And we live as spiritual paupers when God is inviting us to a banquet of spiritual blessing. That's why throughout this series we haven't focused on guilt because I don't want anybody to give a nickel out of guilt. We want you to grow in your worship and in your faith in God and then give generously out of grace. We don't want you to think that God will love you more if you give more. He can't love you any more than He already does. God doesn't love us because we worship Him. We worship Him because He loves us. And the only cures for our worship problem are belief and practice. We have to start believing that if we become generous and respond to the promptings of the Spirit, God really will provide for our every need. We need that next PowerPoint. Number nine. Belief and practice are the only cures for our worship problem. See, God said He would supply what? Our every need if we do what? Seek first His kingdom. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? I would suggest people giving less than 2% have a real belief problem. And it's hard to equate that with seeking first the kingdom of God, the advance of God's kingdom. What's the proof that God will supply our every need if we trust Him? Let me suggest just one. The cross. On that cross, didn't God provide for every spiritual and eternal need that we have? That's why Paul says in Romans eight thirty two, "...he who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things?" God's already shown you He will go to any length to bless you if you trust Him. The cross says that. Now, we just need to apply it in the area of generous grace giving. We worship God because our hearts are assured of His goodwill toward us. We love because He first loved us. And we give because He gave. You see, to grow in grace is to become more and more like Jesus. And Jesus is the most generous soul in the universe. He gave himself for you and me when we had nothing to offer him. To grow in grace is to grow in generosity. You know, rabbis are famous for answering questions with questions. In fact, I always like the story of the fellow who came to his rabbi and said, Rabbi, why is it that you always answer a question with a question? And the rabbi said, why do you ask? (laughs) So like a rabbi, let me close today with this. The answer to the question, how much should I give, is ultimately, how much do you want to bless God? How much do you want to bless others? And how much do you want to be blessed yourself? That's the new covenant answer to the question, how much should I give? And if you need more than that, ask the Holy Spirit. He will tell you. I don't think most folks are afraid he won't speak. They're afraid he will. The amount of grace-giving is shaped by love and faith, not taxation and command. Let's walk in a superior covenant, and let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for replacing law with grace and giving us something so much better than what the men and women of faith had in the Old Covenant. Father, we have the New Covenant. Instead of law through Moses, we have grace through the Lord Jesus. Instead of commandments, we have the Holy Spirit. Help us to excel in the grace of giving. And rather than asking how much, perhaps learn to pray, Lord, can it be more? That's what the Macedonian believers did. And by your grace, that's what we can do as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, to receive the benediction for this week? You know, standing before this box with black cloth, I feel like I should be conducting a memorial service here this, this weekend. <laughs> now, may God give you another one week installment of grace, because it's all about grace. We come in by grace, we're kept by grace, we'll one day be led home by grace. And may God by His Spirit, teach you the wonderful grace of giving, not just in your finances, but in your time, praying for others, in your focus, caring for others, in your love, reaching out to others. And may you become generous people who reflect the heart of God. God bless you. Have a great week serving Him.